0: Hello and welcome to episode 99 of The Game Pit, I'm Sean and this is the last one of our Essen Preview shows.
1: Yes it is, we have done 48 games, well we have by the end of this show Sean, hopefully even anyone who's been looking at games coming out of Spiel 2017, a good idea of where to start. Are you still excited, Sean? Is it still building?
0: Oh, the excitement's building once I get over the rules madness, Ronan. It's it's been a bit of a slog at times.
1: (laughs) I'm going a bit manic I have to say rule books I haven't checked that one yet I haven't checked this one yet I don't know what to buy
0: <laughs> I'm at the end of my tether with with bad rule books I need that day to recover and then I'm going hit, to hit it again and the excitement will start ramping it'll up. be
1: the last couple of days you'll start panicking you'll be printing them out to read on the plane and everything do that anyway <laughs> foregone conclusion. (laughs) Anyway, let's crack on.
0: Okay, as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on Podbean, Stitcher and iTunes and we have a new YouTube channel. First game
1: is tribe a two to four player game takes 30 to 60 minutes published by itten games and designed by naotaka shimamoto the designer of tokyo highway now there's not a lot of information out but we'll tell you what we know it's a dexterity game which is split into two halves and it's themed somewhere around creating human tribes with the same characteristics of each other what you're going to be doing on your turns is hanging sort of nature-shaped wooden pieces of five different shaped human wooden standing up tokens are a few inches tall and when I say nature-shaped they're like branches and butterflies and rings and snakes and stuff like that all different ones in order to find out what sort of piece you're going to hang off one of these humans you have to roll a die you go into a bag and you pull it out you're trying to make some sort of common characteristic between the humans that's as much as we know and you're going to gain tokens by doing so and in the second half you're trying to maintain the pride of the tribes you've created in order to keep hold of those tokens you've gained because you can lose them and whoever gets to hold on to the most tokens wins now that is literally as much information as there is out there but why have i been drawn to it i've been drawn in by its look it's quite stark and striking in terms of the humans they look different to any other pieces i've seen and yet it's very very colorful with the different wooden bits you hang off and it looks like you hang loads of wooden bits off each human so that was the first thing that pulled me in and the second thing is is, it's not just a straight dexterity game although that is involved in there somewhere so it, it kind of perked my ears up
0: when you made me look at this one ronan it was another oh god what's what's he made me look at now it just looks amazing and nuts At the same time,
1: how is that an old god? Surely that's a yes. Something different. Something a bit mental.
0: Something weird. Yeah, yeah, great. (laughs) I'm alright with weird.
1: I'm alright, but weird enough that the pre-orders are sold out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but is that more to do with Tokyo Highway because that got a massive amount of buzz, or is it to do with the actual sort of expectations of this game?
1: You're not expecting me to answer that, are you? <laughs>
0: it's, it, it brings us back. We always have one or two every time we do these preview shows, right? And it's it's not like Essence. It doesn't come round every year. You know exactly when it's going to be. Get your stuff ready.
1: Get your rule book out anywhere. Let us know what the game's about.
0: Yeah. They managed to get their pre-order system up. Put a rule book out as well, eh? <laughs>
1: it worked who's to say they're not right and we're wrong well sold out. indeed um i'm kind of clinging to the hope there's that sort of zendo like feature where in zendo you, you do arrangements of pyramids and they have to always have something in common people have to sort of work out what the thing in common is i not exactly like that but so you, have to, you have to make these humans have something in common together. And there might be that pattern recognition thing and maybe not allowing other people to know. I'm, I'm guessing here, but that's sort of my hope for it. Now, we don't know a lot about Tribe, Sean. We're just kind of interested because it has sold out and it does look different. What are your thoughts with as much as you know?
0: I'm interested to give it a go, but the lack of knowledge, and I'm not usually about dexterity games or even sort of those crazy left the field game so i'm gonna say it's a trap but definitely want to play it i've written down who knows
1: (laughs) but i'm intrigued enough to say sure sure treasure why not i'm in a good mood tribe a treasure maybe
0: maybe (laughs) okay so now we're gonna go to loot island it comes from what's your game and pegasus spiel designed by mariano ianelli and it's two to five players So the backstory in this is, it's in 1640 AD, a curse had been cast on a once beautiful island, and black magic has kept treasure hunters or even visitors away. But now it's 1902, and pieces of an ancient treasure map have been found, and you as the treasure hunters are going back to the island to risk the curse. So on the table you've got a main map with a ship, and you have a number of smaller island tiles also. Players have an amount of map cards with a number value and a coloured border. So what happens on a turn is the ship is going to move to the four corners of this island and adjacent to those is two landings on each. So the ship's going to move to the next corner that it's facing and you're going to trigger an event card that changes up the game somewhat. Then you move on to your actions. You can play a card to the main island. Now cards must match the colour of any card that's been played on that landing area and be of the same or higher value. Exceptions to this are the number one cards, which they can be slotted in on the number one place. There's also star cards, which are wild cards. Cards placed are going to give extra cards or add or subtract curse cubes. Now, curse cubes are going to cost you in the end of game scoring and can even eliminate you from the game. Cards also have chest symbols, which are key to finding treasure on the island. Players can also discard two of the same color cards to use an ability on one of those small islands I mentioned. You can discard curse cubes, you can make your landing disc uh, in a stack, because you're going to move a landing disc whenever you place cards to that landing area. You can put it to the bottom and that begins to give you first choice in treasure. Lastly, to activate the finding loop phase, a stack of cards must have at least six cards in there. And then you're going to choose the longest of those, and that's going to be the the main treasure plunder. And you're going to get treasure cards equal to each player disc and each treasure icons on the stack. With the player at the bottom of the stack taking first pick and so on. Then if the other one also has six cards in it, it's going to activate, but only the chest symbols garner treasure cards. You're going to choose to take or bury the treasure because each treasure has a curse value and you have to take curses equal to the value. At the end, if you have 13 curse cubes on your player board, you are eliminated straight away before anything else happens. Then we're going to flip over healer cards and all these healer cards are different and they are going to allow you to take off curses in some some special way again the player with the least curses is going to get first choice of the healer cards, then you're going to add up all your treasures, minus the curses and the highest wins, Ronan, Loot Island.
1: So, my first thought is, Sean, that you are having to play these cards of different colours in order to get the sets and join in, but you don't have any control over the cards you draw, and that flagged me up a little bit, I was like, hmm, so if I just keep getting a bad hand, that maybe is not going to go very well for me?
0: yeah. I think there's definitely that in it, but I think there are things to mitigate. Those smaller islands, they can do some some actually quite nasty things. Like People can really stack up loads of cards on one of the landing points where you can move the ship on to the next landing point, uh, and then all of a sudden the landing point that everyone's targeted isn't going to score this round. So there are things you can do to kind of mitigate. You can bring more cards into your hand, etc. But yeah, I do agree with you. There, there is the luck element there, definitely.
1: And the other concern I had was once someone has chosen a landing stage, especially in the early game, is there much incentive for me to, to then go in there? Because just whoever gets there first and lays a card of a certain colour, they're going to get first pick at the treasures. Doesn't matter, I, I could add five cards on there, first in gets first pick that was a bit to me like well we're just going to run around and fill in all the docs first and then we're going to start adding cards to them i wasn't sure about that either mate
0: yeah i think there is a definite element of you yeah, you're going to have to sort of play semi-cooperatively in this to, to get to the six cards yeah
1: that was my <laughs> noise by the way
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> noise so it's that balance of how how far you go in. As I said, you can manipulate the disc and get first choice if you if you wish to. But I think those island tiles flip face down once you use them until the end of the round. So you're only going to get one chance, and only one player is really going to get a chance to do that. But yeah, it's, it's that kind of push pull balance of do what do I really want to dive in here and make sure that this island actually reaps some rewards, or do I want to hold back and hope so that the other players do it? So I actually kind of like that.
1: I do Those small island tiles seem like they're just gonna take away much of the tactics. I mean, the tactics in that is very luck of the draw. Then the small island cards, the small mm. island tiles seem to mess with everything. Yeah, the, I'm not a fan of everything being messed with in a game. The
0: thing that I thought could be really swingy, Ronan. I haven't really actually seen sort of what powers they do, but the the healer cards because you don't see them until right at the end, and then they all flip over, and the person who's got the least curses on their card. He's going to get first choice now. If there are much better ones in that deck, that's going to be massive to end the game scoring.
1: Yeah, it's going to make a huge difference. And um, when we're talking about all this fussing around with discs and small island tiles and laying down the cards and all that, and the healers, and, I'm, I'm just looking at issue one. And I'm going, there's a lot of fuss here for what seems like a game that is extended version of Lost Cities with nothing I particularly want built onto it.
0: there does seem a bit more fuss than it's possibly necessary for for the weight of this game. But I, I'm not as down as that. I do see some things that I do kind of like the th- thought of.
1: I'm looking at that pattern. If I want to build patterns of cards, I'll play Lost Cities. It's a great game, and it works, and it's quick. Even Celtis and what have you, they they work. This seems to just be throwing stuff at it. Anyway, you can tell all the way through I haven't been very positive A loot island for me is a trap. I can't see anything new or fun, and it seems overwrought for the weight of game it is. Uh, I'm sorry, mate. I'm not that interested in loot island.
0: Right. Okay. So for me, I like a lot of the mechanisms in there. Yeah, there's a bit of luck involved. I like the thought of being able to just stitch people up and move the ship around, and I kind of like the, the set collection aspect of it. But I'm with Ronan in that it seems a lot of fuss. And when it boils down to the like you can be eliminated if you just have a bit of bad luck. So player elimination is always something that makes me wary of a game. And yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards trap. What's your game? I'm a big fan of all of their stuff. So normally I would go treasure just based on them. But this one, it's a slight trap. I'm still going to check it out. That was Loot Island.
1: It doesn't seem to... fit very well into their lineup of games
0: no no it doesn't feel like a uh, watch your game game Mm,
1: anyway well you know who's to blame them for branching out okay speaking of overwrought and fiddly it's reworld two to four player game 50 to 90 minutes from Egertspieler, designed by kiesling and kramer and superstars of design including el grande tical vikings princes of florence and dozens more between the two of them in the game we are players we're going to look to terraform and then develop a planet and make it inhabitable and bring the colonists to live there we're going to be populating our starship in the first half of the game in the second half we're going to be delivering our colony to start with you're going to be controlling your carrier and you're going to spend five rounds playing cards with numbers on matching the numbers on modules which are laid out around sort of a, um, a space station. So when a card gets played to claim a tile, you have to play the same cards to claim the tile next to it later on. Or you can always spend two cards of any colour to claim a module. When you claim modules, you're going to load them onto the left side of your space carrier. In the second half, you're going to unload that carrier from the five levels, the five rows you've created of modules, but you're going to have to do it in order from the left hand side into those that are closest in and you're going to put moving to the right hand side of your carrot which now becomes the planet and you're going to form up to five cities again creating five rows but in a different order to which you loaded. There's a number on top of each card which tells you which level you have to place the module on. However, when you move them across the right-hand side, there are different types of modules and they tell you where they need to go. For example, there are terabots. They all have letters on them. They must go in the row that corresponds to the letter and they're going to found the city of that letter. You can have up to 5A to E. There are shuttles. Now one thing they can do is add shields to your orbital defense which will score you points at the end of the game or they can help you transport the builder units which are sort of the workhorses of terraforming and building these cities. You can take up to two of them from the end of a row when you activate a shuttle. The builders come in five different colors and again when you start a city of a color that's what color the city is. However you can dump a builder if you're completely stuck because they could end up blocking the rest of a row if you don't have shuttles in the right place to move them. There are satellites, they can also be added to your orbital defence, or they're going to score points for features in your city that you've already built and you choose when you flip those over. There are a load of population ships in the game, the tiles that are face up from the very beginning, and they have requirements that you have to fulfil when you're putting down your cities and terraform in order to claim them. And the second that you've actually done it and fulfilled the requirement, you claim these population ships for VP when no one has any modules left you're going to score and you're going to score up for having the most shields in your orbital defense is going to score a load of points and second place and third place and then each of the cities A to E is going to score for the size of that city again going for A to E A will score the most and E will score the least. Sean sure I've tried to condense down there what is quite a complex puzzle that they've put together and i've given it a little name of fiddly mcfiddleson
0: yeah ronan i am going to jump right on board with fiddly mcfiddleson it's a very good name because it just looks overly fiddly and even just the looks of the game it looks i don't know if it's final component quality that i've seen the pictures of but it's really clinical and there's no appeal to draw me into the game at all
1: I think there's so much info they have to have on each of those small modules because they all have particular restrictions on them that it has to be very clean artwork or it would be crazy. It's quite overwhelming as it is even with those clinical individual components. But every single bit of the game seems to come with restrictions, Sean. I love a puzzle. I love the puzzle aspect of it. Are there too many restrictions on there?
0: I think certainly in the second half. I think the first half of the game where you're just placing down the cards, I think that's fairly simple, possibly even too simple. I don't think it really sets you up for what you're going to have in the second half of the game. You've got this fairly easy selection of tiles going on, and then all of a sudden, boom, here's 100 things to think about. So,
1: In itself, it's easy. It's not difficult to take cards down, but it's the order you're taking them in.
0: And oh, yeah, cards yeah, you set yourself up. Like, when you play up, a yeah. two-card
1: to claim a module, that's got to go on the two-row. You have to consider that and go, well, does it fit on the two-row? Or uh, the card you play dictates where it goes, and then obviously the order it's going to go in your city. I think the puzzle kicks off from the very beginning.
0: I think you're right. I think you, you're having to think, but I just meant the actual just mechanisms of putting things into play or taking them off that main, main board. But then it even even just that becomes fiddly. So... I'm struggling to get past Fiddly, road and You started with Fiddly, and I'm sticking with Fiddly.
1: God, stick with it, then, all the way through. All the way
0: through. I, I'm i going to sum up, Ronan. I looked at this game, I thought, oh my God, this is going to have to be really good to make me want to play it. It looks so boring. And reading that rule book and having a look at the overall game didn't improve my mood, so it's a definite trap for me.
1: Damn, all right. I do think Reworld looks fiddly and challenging, but it, from reading it, it actually makes me want to take on that challenge and embrace it. I think it's right on the line of too much going on. I can see it going either way in that aspect, so it's a tentative treasure I'm going to be very careful with in case it snaps my hand off.
0: Okay, you be careful with that bad boy. Hi, I'm going to move on to the Wild West, and this is awesome. It is by One Free Elephant, designed by Sarah Kennington, and two to four players. So we are Old West miners, and we're going to clash in the mine as we try to grab as much ore, gold, silver, and copper as possible, and we're going to try to earn the most money we can by selling it, either in contracts or to the bank. So, players are going to set up a modular board by placing a 5x5 grid around a central tile. The grid represents the rails in a mine on which your mine carts, and you have physical mine carts, are going to traverse. Players have that cart and a die in their colour, and they are going to receive contract cards and action cards. Turns are going to start with a player rolling that die and, in turn order, moving their cart by that amount sticking to the rails. And the rails bend off and there's points on which you can jump from one to the other, all that sort of stuff going on. Should you hit another player's cart, it is going to shunt forward and it's going to lose one of those ore that they have collected, should they be visible above the edge of the cart. The same thing will happen if it reaches the mine's edge or if it hits an obstacle. Then you're going to move into the dig phase. You're going to draw ore from a bag and you're going to place it in your cart. And there's a dexterity element here because you are literally trying to balance the ore in your cart. You don't have a lot of room in there and anything dropped is going to stay on that mine tile. You can't pick it back up without an action. So moving on to that action, one of your actions is to pick up any ore on the tile that you're in. And your last action is to cash in some ore. You're either going to sell it to the bank with gold being worth the most and copper being worth the least, or I mentioned those contract cards. There are certain configurations that are given up to two meeples that are going to walk around the mine i don't know why they're walking around the mine but they are and they're baron pierce and mark Hortland. baron pierce tends to want loads of different stuff uh, for a lot of money and mark Ortland just wants a few bits and she'll give you slightly less money and the only caveat to that is they have to be in a certain range to you for you to be able to sell the contract now during both the move and dig phases you can play action cards and these are going to change the game up they're going to change your movement they're going to set up barriers there's physical wooden beams you can place you're going to steal from each other you can even add a little guard dog called scraps to a cart, and scraps is going to stop people messing with you as much awesome ronan
1: it's clearly a family weight game sean and with all family weight games it's cool to have a simpler game but i'm thinking and the problem is is it an out of control roller coaster or is there actually planning involved do you get to make any actual decisions
0: right so spoiler alert i've actually played this one we managed to get copies uh, sent to us before the show and i've played it two player and i would say that two-player version running there's hardly any interaction the choices you're not making aren't very interesting because you can be at either ends of the the mine shaft from each other and you're not really going to happen upon each other unless you really want to but i think with the three and four players i think that's when it's going to become more chaotic and you're going to lose loads of all and there's going to be loads of it hanging around and i think it does become that sort of haphazard sort of not so much planning but things happening to you type of game
1: so it's not really about making decisions. It's more maybe going along for the ride.
0: It's going along for the ride and just making the best out of what you've got. So there are, as I said, those action cards are going to allow you just to change up the rules very slightly. So it's it's using those at like, key moments and to the best effect. You can block people in and stuff like that. It can be quite mean actually in this
1: game. Okay, cool. So the fact that there is all those different action cards in there, and you are going for particular types of war, and the fact you can be quite mean. Is it suitable for the sort of 8 to 10 11 year old age bracket that it seems to be aimed at
0: i would say it definitely depends on the person themselves whether they enjoy the fact that just by you can you can lose three or four or in in one go if someone rolls a 6 and just constantly bangs into your cart then you can, you can lose three or four or then they they've obviously got to be mindful of the fact that you, they if they do it every turn they're going to be right beside you, and you're going to do it straight back to them. So they've got to try and get away at some point. But yeah, it, it can. It's quite nasty, and it depends whether the person likes it. Rather to be
1: honest. Fair enough, Sean. For me, awesome. I think it's probably not enough in there for gamers and my kids are that bit older, 11 and 14. I'm not sure that I have the audience for it in this house, so I'm going to go for me, a trap, although for light, maybe more casual gamers, maybe there is something there for a quick laugh. Or Your thoughts on awesome, having played it, you're the expert. Well, it's a
0: definite trap at two players. It just didn't work, but I think we had that conversation before. You didn't feel like it was going to work at two players anyway. But, yeah, for sure it doesn't work there. I'm, I'm on the fence. I think it will be fun. I definitely don't think it's the It's welcome. There's only six or eight rounds you choose in the game. So I'm going to say it's a, it's a slight trap, but it's something that people should maybe consider because I think it, there is fun held within that box, and that is awesome.
1: Drinking game version for every time a cube falls out or gets knocked out of your
0: cart. Grand. We'll do that.
1: Okay, my last game for this half is Approaching Dawn. Three to six player game, 120 minutes from WizKids, who just announced a partnership with Fantasy Flight Games. So there's some big news from WizKids. And designed by Kenneth c shannon the who also designed tournament at camelot and that is quite the name okay this is a cooperative scenario based game in which the players are members of a coven of witches and they need to survive a night of demons attacking them without using too much black magic and any of them becoming too corrupted or their reserve of spells running out each player gets an individual character who comes with a slightly different individualized deck and there are six scenarios in the game which are going to tweak the rules each time but these are sort of basic generic ones there are six stacks of spells put out in the middle on a central board on a player's turn they're going to decide whether they want to take the face-up top spell from any of those stacks the stacks are numbered from one to six and depending upon the number from the stack you take from you're going to gain that much corruption corruption makes you more vulnerable to demons and as i said if anyone gets too much that is game over if just one person does it after everyone's decided what spells they wish to take, there are demons, three of them in a the lineup, and they're gonna try and attack, and they will go after people. Or they are more likely to attack you the more corruption you have. And also there are symbols on your board which you'll activate by placing spells, and the more symbols you've used, the more open you are to attack. So you check those corruption and sigils. If the demon does attack, for the moment it just goes in front of you. You're gonna go around the board doing this, refilling the demon lineup to three for each player, then Everyone draws five cards and they arrange the cards in their hand. Now, the cards come in incantations, familiars, and artifacts, so spells to activate. Familiars, you can help to bind enemies and artifacts which stay in play. Why are you arranging those cards? Because each card has got a black and white magic side and you decide which way round they go, which is a mechanism that's going to come up again in this episode. You then play cards. There are special insight cards which will activate now and will give you sort of a, a quick fire shot before the round starts. Then we have a check. If you've chosen the black magic side of a card, there's going to be corruption gained, but it doesn't go to you. It goes to the player on your left. Then everyone checks the white magic cards that they've played and that will allow you to remove corruption. Then you activate your spells. Now the black magic cards, while they give corruption to your left, they hit the enemies that are directly in front of you and you're looking to bind them, which will take them out of the game for one round, or banish them, which will take them out of the game completely. Any white magic spells you activate generally will put power into a shared pool or help attack everyone else's enemies, but not your own. That's decisions you need to make. Any demons which are remaining after the resolution of the spells will now attack. They'll attack at those spell stacks I was talking about, which you take from, starting with the lowest spell stack, which causes the least corruption, forcing players to take spells that give you more corruption, and they will also give corruption to each player. Then the Coven Leader, who's the first player which takes each round, will decide what to do with any remaining white magic in the middle of the table. Now, for each game, each player is going to get a secret and they may check to see whether they've achieved the goal on their secret, which will let them resolve a positive effect. There are between four and six hours, which are turns, in each game. If it is the final hour, you're now going to get punished for secrets which have not been completed, and you'll get corruption. Or there can be some scenario events in that final hour which may also dole out corruption. Check to see whether there are no spells or anyone's got too much corruption. Otherwise, the players have won the game. Sean, Approaching Dawn. A game with all female characters in it with overwhelmingly sensible artwork and a theme of strong females working together that is refreshing to start
0: oh absolutely it is right it's got lovely stylish artwork the witches are clothed actually makes it makes the witches actually come off really cool in a harry potter styley love the look of the main board the way the, the cards are set up as a, in, almost like a pentagram really like that so yeah, the, the, the footprint that this one leaves initially on the, on the table is very impressive.
1: Yes, and, and refreshing. And not only that, but the game itself mechanically demands proper teamwork, in that you cannot just do your own thing. You have to consider wh- how your actions are going to impact on the stacks of cards in the game, how you're passing on corruption, what resources you're making available into the group. There's a touch of big book of madness in that, but I think probably less fiddly.
0: Less fiddly than Big Book of Madness. Oh, mate, we've gone in completely different directions. I had Big Book of Madness written down. I was like, this one is way more fiddly and loads of upkeep on this one. Really? Yeah, man. I watched the run-through, and just to get started, the guy spent about 10 minutes shuffling things and putting things down and moving things over and turning cards over.
1: Well, that's just a bad run-through. It should have had all that done off the video. And you say, you shuffle these, here they go.
0: Yeah, but he didn't let me see sort of behind the curtain a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just thought, yeah, Big Book of Madness, but way more invested in it.
1: Oh, we've clearly picked up different things.
0: Yeah, big this. time.
1: I do like the six different scenarios are going to change up. but Also, the six scenarios link together. And if you want them to, they tell an overarching story, which is a nice touch
0: any game that has gone to the trouble of actually putting scenarios together so that you're not following the same path time after time after time and obviously lends into the difficulty of the game, I think that's a big plus point for me. I like the light and dark actions, as Ronan says, it's not the only game that happens. I think it gives you that extra decisions to be made and I, I like the way that it affects the other players as well, Ronan.
1: Yeah, very much. I will say that, although I said that it seemed quite Simple. The board itself it does appear to be quite busy uh, with what's going on. There's a lot of different cards around about the place. I think the mechanisms themselves are simple. I'm almost contradicting myself and agreeing with you here, but superficially, I think it seems busy and it could have been maybe calmed down just a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like every time there's a portal open, you have to slide a queue, There's five or six of them, and and it's, it's moving them left and right, moving cards. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but you're saying the the key mechanics of the game are quite quite simple.
1: I think they are. They appear to be anyway. Approaching dawn. What your thoughts, Sean?
0: To be honest, I started off and I was really excited by the artwork. As you say, having a strong female characters was was an absolute bonus and but the longer i went into this i was just i just couldn't get it out of the back of my head is this going to be too much fuss and faff for what you're going to get out of the game because what you are doing is quite simple but is there too much faffing around around that for me so i'm right on the fence with this one ronan i think i'm going to come down with a slight trap because i can't get that out of my
1: head Man, we can tell this is episode four. It's hard to <laughs> squeeze the treasure out of you today. I can't see where they're coming from. Right. I have total treasure. I was, I really like look at this. I think it's going to be challenging. I think you're going to have to chat to each other. You're going to have to plan things out. There are several different systems. There's going to be sigils you need to worry about. But I like all that and the fact that everyone needs to consider what everyone else is doing around the table. So I'm in treasure for approaching Dawn all the way. And, oh... I'm worried about you, Sean. Come on, man. Give me something awesome.
0: I'm ready to be proved wrong with that one, and I hope I am. So hopefully you'll pick it up, Ronan, and we'll play it. Okay, talking about fiddly, we're going on to Pixie Queen.
1: <laughs> Is this just like the, the game pit does fiddly games?
0: It? <laughs> <laughs> it's our fiddly episode. Okay, so you're back, going back. Pixie Queen from Game Brewer. Rudy Shuntians, or Sundtans, two to five players. Okay, so players are pixies who are working to impress their tyrant of a queen, and they're doing this with constant offerings to that queen. It's a worker placement game where you are placing workers for lots of different things, and I mean lots of different things. You have your resource collection. You're going to be collecting apples, honey, and bread. You're going to be mining for gold and silver. There's a gold and silver track that you, where you exchange silver for gold and gold for points. Back to that at the end. You're going to promote a bunch of slave pixies from mines at the bottom to the upper levels. And they're going to make actions cheaper and allow you to steal goods in the subsequent steal phase. You can punish other players with just negative points. Now, this game is all about the negative points. You could quite easily finish in the negative. You can get bonus tiles ongoing or one-off. You can steal from each other. There are trade bonus tiles. You can chain the slaves, the poor old slaves that start off in the, in the mines. You can chain them to the mine and lots more going on. At the end of a round, you're going to reveal what good the queen wants and secretly offer that good or gold and silver. The caveat here is at least one player must supply the desired good, otherwise the Queen doesn't like it at all. If you do supply the desired good, then you get to promote some of those Pixies out of the mine. If you give gold or silver, you can move up on the tracks of those. And if you are unable to give any of these, then you're going to get minus five points. You're going to move into a steel phase where... Any Pixies that have advances, I'm going to be able to basically collect some goods. And then you go into the punishment round, as if it wasn't punishing already. You're going to lose points for Pixies still in the mine, and for being lower down on the gold and silver tracks. Now, where do you score points? Well, uh, you score points by trading in gold to claim a reward. There's 21 tiles at the top. 15 of them are gold and 6 are silver. Trade in your gold to claim these, and they're going to score you your points. They're also a game end trigger. If the 15 gold ones are taken, the game ends. Otherwise, it's going to end after seven rounds. One other thing to point out here is if you ever hit minus 60 points, then you are eliminated from the game. It's a nice, fun beating, Ronan, from this game, <laughs> it seems to me.
1: It's definitely a different take, isn't it? it well, absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: looking like a, a four-plus Haber game, maybe.
0: <laughs>
1: um, they've gone in a different direction with the theming.
0: They really have. They really have, yeah. It's uh, how well can you take your beatings and recover?
1: And there's an awful lot of courage. There. You have to get demoted each round. You can send pictures out to rob each other. There are as a whips dice that if you choose your action, just use it, you roll, and the number of whips you get is how many points you take off the other players. I mean, that seems fairly unnecessary to me.
0: There's player
1: <laughs> elimination in the game, Sean. If you oh, get too many points, you're gone. That's yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, Don't like that. Don't like that at all. But uh, yeah, and you can even, like, if somebody gets a bonus tile, you can steal it, you can swap them, and it's not that difficult to do it. So there's lots of scrooge, lots of scrooge in this game, right now.
1: Yeah, um it does look striking though. The board does look mm, unlike any other board I've ever seen. I quite like that sort of pyramidal effect that it's got, where you promoting your pixies up through, and you can see clearly what level they're on, and you're trying to get them out those mines. It definitely looks different. It's not a generic game for, for the mm, art direction.
0: No, I think it looks stunning. I saw this one in last lesson, and it wasn't ready for production. All like the counters and things weren't ready, but the board was. It is absolutely beautiful. It's one of the things that stayed in my mind, and that's why I brought it to, to this show for this Essen.
1: I think there's a bit of buzz around Pixie Queen, actually. I think just that board is striking enough to garner that buzz, which goes to show... Itten and Tribe, just even a little bit of information can get people in anyway. In terms of the overall thing, it's a real balance of is it just too depressing and mean? Is it unnecessarily so? And how much are you willing to take that on board? I am intrigued as to how that will play out and how harsh it will seem and whether it will be that fun sort of, I'm taking a beating but it's quite funny or is it just this is all too depressing. Going to lean towards the side of too depressing, I'm going to say trap but, despite it being a trap, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it, because it is a different approach, and I do need to try it out to see what they've done.
0: Oh, you want to buy a trap. Very good. <laughs>
1: it wouldn't be the first time.
0: Nah, really. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for me, I think it, it all will hinge on if you're teaching this game i think it will hinge on how you deliver that to the people you're teaching if you just tell them it's a points game and you've got to do this this and this and that's how you win it's not people are just going to think hang on i'm getting battered here." if you tell them the theme of the game and you are going to get a battering i think it could actually work the player elimination almost tipped me on the other side and I was gonna say it was a trap, but I think there's enough here for me, there's enough going on. I find it really interesting and it is beautiful, so it's a treasure for me, and that's Pixie Queen.
1: Have we agreed on a single game this whole half yet? I don't know. <laughs> 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 Brilliant. When we go to the last episode about how much we think like each other.
0: Uh, a lot of them have been literally sitting on the fence and seeing what way the wind blows. Like.
1: It, it often blows towards opening your wallet and just having <laughs> it up. Right. Well, we're going to be back for the second half shortly. <laughs> Taking into the second half of this episode is Dragon's Gate College, a game for 2-4 players, 60-90 to 90 minutes from NSKN Games, designed by Thomas van der Ginster and Wolf Plank, who designed Yido and Kill Shakespeare. You are going to be playing as the head of one of the houses in an adventurer training school. The idea of the game is to train your apprentices to become warriors, rogues or wizards. The main mechanism of this is that you're going to be drafting dice over 5 rounds. There are going to be a variable number of dice available depending upon the round, from two times the number of players up to four times the number of players for the last round. They'll all get rolled at the beginning, and on your turn you're going to draft a die. Now you can choose any colour. There are dice in the player colours and there are neutral ones, but if you choose the dice of another person's colour, they may follow you in the action you choose, but you've your dice in there, then you're going to get to follow them on the action they choose. There's a little thought for you. What you're mostly going to be doing is drafting apprentices like i said and training them up Now, they draft apprentices from the boards and they come in stats in sorcery brawn and stealth you're then going to be looking to train your apprentices into one of those three particular classes as a level one two or three of that class and but they have stat requirements which the apprentice by themselves will not be able to match so you're going to have to have stats modifiers Put on your own player board now you can do this in various ways for example you can draft professors in there and they will give you an instant bonus when you take them fill up a professor's plot and then for every one of your apprentices they will improve one of their stats by one you can build buildings onto your player board as well there's a grid there which has some spaces for buildings has some buildings already built it has some bonus spots in which you can uh, cover over when you build the building and there's a little bit of the old uh, patchworky indian summary polyomino slight thing going on there but it's only a small part of this game now buildings cost you money but they will get you one victory point they also however, cost money every turn in maintenance they have various other bonuses however like giving you extra spaces on the board like giving you imps which are used to modify the numbers on dice like improving your income like letting you draw wizard cards which are special cards that will give you special powers during the game or allowing you to move on various tracks throughout the game now, there are tracks such as the stealth track which will score points for who's up there and things like that and uh, different buildings will let you move on a different ones of these tracks i'll come back to them when i talk about victory points now, when you train your apprentice into a particular class, you're going to get a bonus. If you train a wizard, that will give you some of those wizard cards for special powers. When you train a warrior, that will give you a trophy, and trophies will score you points at the end of the game. And when you train a rogue, that will make you move up on the stealth track, which, as I said, is endgame scoring, and it's based on who gets furthest along that stealth track during the game. Also, when you train any of the classes, you're going to get a bonus victory points, money, and possibly other small little things. There's a training dungeon in there which you can advance along. If you advance all the way along the training dungeon, you're going to be at trophies which will again score you points at the end of the game. Now, talking about points, when this is finished after five rounds, what are you going to score for? You're going to score for having the most professors on your board, the most apprentices, for having the most imps. You're going to score for having the most buildings, for having the most coins. You're going to score for having sets of careers or a lot of one career depending on which way you've gone for reaching the end of the dungeon track through various bonuses for being the best at the subterfuge on the stealth for the trophies you've gained and you're going to lose victory points for any empty spaces on that building grid on your own player board. Sean, Dragon's Gate College is a dice drafting game which teeters around the idea of Hogwarts all the way through but gets a little bit confused and doesn't quite follow through with it
0: <laughs> the continuity in the theme doesn't really stay throughout the game for sure. The biggest thing for me with this game running is that the look of it, it's all a bit pasty and bland, and you've got this massive board and these tiny little cardboard chits with quite a lot of information for the size of them on there. Now, some of these are at the other end of the board. You might physically have to get up and walk around to have a look at them it's a weird design choice i thought they used way more space than they needed to
1: it kind of looks a bit prototypey yeah in, in uh, a bit of a way like they didn't get an actual graphic design to have a look at it and go what information is important we're going to make that front and center you know there's kind of the sketches on the board the flavors which like blend into the actual tracks which are important and things like that and like you say the colors are all quite Pastely, there's there's nothing that really stands out. It gives it a look, though. It invokes a sort of a theme, I guess, but it's not the clearest for sure.
0: Going into the mechanisms now, there's lots going on. Lots of things to do, but the one that stood out as being the most interesting to me is the the coloured dice of the of the different players. In that you, if you use them, you're going to give them an action, but they might have the only number. That you actually want to do that turn. That in it in of itself was interesting to me.
1: It was interesting, and I probably didn't mention it there that for each of the actions it requires a certain range number of dice. And I think there is definitely that decision of even if it's that my number is on a dice of my colour, do I want to use it? Because I'll get an extra action if I don't. But then if I don't, I don't know what they're going to use it for. So I might be following along with something that's a bit rubbish to me. And that's something that's gonna have to be uh, revealed via gameplay and i think it's probably gonna be quite group dependent as well on whether you think that's worth it or not but it's definitely a little bit unique a little bit of a thought to it to be honest with you that wasn't my favorite mechanism mine was more about the ability to shape your own house you know you can make it a specialist in training wizards or a specialist in training warriors and there are lots of different building types in the game and you can Look to the buildings and decide yourself which way you want to go and how you want to forge your apprentices.
0: Yeah, I think we both tend to fall down on the side of games that allow you to sort of create your own path. So sometimes it's a role-playing-esque type dungeon crawler game. Sometimes it is a more Euro-centric game like this. But yeah, something that definitely allows you to create your own path is something I think we both look to in games.
1: One of the things that I'm less keen on is that there's quite a few moving parts to the game. I think the presentation doesn't help with that idea, but the scoring is very simple. And it always worries me: is there too much going on for too little payoff at the end?
0: I think there's a lot going on, but I think it's all fairly simple. Look, like the tile laying in the buildings is fairly simple. The sending your apprentices out to do certain jobs i think for me the point scoring kind of tied in with that it's very simple point scoring for very simple steps that you're taking in the game
1: okay so a lot of simplicity but in a 90 minute game yeah Um, but i've i've got thoughts in either direction here like most of the games today (laughs) what is your final summary on dragon's gate college I do
0: like I do like the tile lane and building your own little area. I do find the dice mechanisms interesting, but the continuity in the theme, the look of the game, the poor design choices with the tiny little tiles and and containing lots of information, and I hate to say it, but recently NSKN they're not on point for me as a design house. So I'm going to say it's a tentative trap.
1: There are concerns, but I have to go back to the fact that Thomas and Wolfe designed Yido, which gives them a lot of credit in my eyes, so I'm going to go for a bit of a messy treasure for me for Dragon's Gate College.
0: Fair enough, okay. We are going completely abstract, or pretty much abstract, now with Azul from Plan B Games designed by Michael Kiesling and 2-4 to four players. The backstory, for what it's worth, is you are a tile lane artist employed by King Manuel I to decorate his palace with beautiful Moorish ceramic tiles. And these tiles were called, I believe, Azulejos. So that's where the game gets its name. <laughs> oh, Azu what? Azulejos? Or what is it? Watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> You're, sir, on a clown. Okay, so every player is going to have a board. And on this board is going to be a score track. And it's going to also have a grid with a pattern on it. And this pattern is made up of different tile spaces. You're also going to have what I'm going to call a holding area. Each one of these are in rows containing one to five spaces. At the center of the table are mats. And each one of these mats is going to have four tiles. And they're going to be in a circle. On a turn, the player is going to take all of the tiles of one color stroke design. And place them in one of their holding rows. And you can only have one colour per row. Any remaining tiles on the mat are going to be placed into the middle of the circle of mats. This continues until all the tiles are gone. But as soon as tiles are in the middle, players can now take from there. The first player who's going to do this is going to get the first player marker for the next round. But minus one point. So the next stage is players are going to move a tile only from a complete row in their holding area onto the pattern area and onto the space matching that tile. Scoring points depending on how many other tiles are adjacent to them. The idea is to fill up a row or a column and if you fill a row you're going to trigger the end of game. end of game you're going to score bonus points for complete columns, complete rows and for having five of one type of tile and that in a nutshell is Azul Roland completely abstract but how how are you landing on this one
1: you're gonna love or hate the look of it Sean and I can't tell which one it is for you
0: I oh, love you know what makes it for me I look at the, the the little tiles, and I just I just I want to pick them up, and I want to just twiddle them around in my fingers. They just dink, look dink, so dink, tactile. Dink, 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 yeah, dink, yeah, dink. yeah. <laughs> and in the bag, like just moving your fingers around in the bag, it's just be so tactile. Oh, nice. nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm with you, brother. Can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, absolutely, brother. I think it looks fantastic. I will say that, okay, it is totally abstract, as you mentioned, so people have got to get on board with that, Let's forget about the theme, it's just a puzzle. A lot of the puzzly element is going to come from the restrictions once you have tiles in play, and the fact that rows on the left-hand side in that holding area don't empty until they fill up, so you can get stuck with tiles in there, and other people know you're stuck with reds on your 4th we were not going to let you get reds, something like that, so could be a slight slow start until those restrictions begin to come into play it's quite open and easy at the beginning
0: yeah because nobody can quite tell what the what you're going for so you probably have to play two or three rounds and then all of a sudden it will become more apparent especially
1: be like it, a vice squeezing
0: in on you yeah but even in the early rounds do you start filling up from the bottom because that's going to be the hardest row to finish so do you sort of give yourself that sort of leg up but then it's also the easiest one for other people to block you because you've got more tiles to fill up on it so yeah even from the beginning for me it sounds interesting
1: just leads into a lot of screwage with selection. pretty much <laughs> <laughs> i could just see imagine like a two-player game with it you just sitting in the game
0: from what i'm hearing coming out of gen Con is that it actually scales really well so two players it's a different game but it's, it's, oh, it's a
1: mean game. Cause oh, gonna take, they, they leave you with something. You're like, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm totally on board. I love the look. I love the idea. I love a tight puzzle. It's great reports coming out. This is one we're definitely going to get our hands on. You will be getting a review of this afterwards and it's a treasure all the way for us all, Sean.
0: Yeah, it's going to play quickly, it's strong tactical play, it's going to scale well, looks beautiful, can't wait to get my fingers into those bag of tiles, I am on ah. board really. It's our, I think it's only our second agreement, so it's a treasure for me as well, for Azul.
1: Lovely, okay, we're going to move on to Albedo, a 2-4, to four, or possibly 8 with 2 sets, play a game, 35-45 to 45 minutes from Herbert's Entertainment. Designed by Kai Herberts and it's his first design. This is going to be played over seven rounds in which players are going to assign cards to two or maybe three planets with larger numbers. I'm going to stick to two to four player games from now on to two planets. They're going to be conducting space combat to decide the priority for when they land and start to conquer ground locations on each of those planets. Each planet having three locations. So for a turn, you're going to draw six cards and then you're going to arrange them in your hand. And similarly to Approaching Dawn, the vertical arrangement of them is going to matter because they're going to have two different sides, most of them. They're going to have space and ground combat values on either end and you're going to decide whether, for example, you want to have a space fighter which will have high space value but zero ground combat value or you're going to turn it into a bomber which will have more of a balance of each. Then in your hand, you're going to assign these cards to Planet 1, Planet 2 or both and then everyone simultaneously reveals what they've planned. If more than one player goes to a planet, you're going to compare the space combat values of those players. Then, in the order highest to lowest, they get to choose one of the locations they go to on the planet. And each location contains various sub-locations which they can conquer. The sub-locations have ground combat values you must have in order to conquer them, and that's when you start to take effects. which is why you need a balance of forces in your hand. The top left space of each of these planets is the capital. And whoever can conquer the capital gets to claim the card. And that will be worth victory points at the end of the game. There's usually one other option in there to do something else. There's other two other locations down there. One location will be exclusive to whoever chooses it. It's the bottom left. And they will give you options for what you choose to conquer for different icons. And the different things you can conquer will give you, for example, different cards which are available in stacks. Now, the stacks are set with one, two or three options for each stack shuffled up you might go to an airfield a shipyard or a factory each of those giving you a different type of card into your deck to go onwards this being a bit of a deck builder there'll also be things like temples you can conquer with your ground forces which will score you vp there'll also be options to garrison places you've conquered specific places that will both thin your deck and score you one victory point for each garrison you've managed to do during the game and the last location on every planet is open to everyone else who's left there and will give you slightly worse options than the main two but still options you can Conquer with your ground forces. Once you played seven rounds of this space combat and then ground conquering, you're going to check for each planet you've conquered, the locations you've conquered, and how many units you've garrisoned. And the most victory points is going to win the game. A quick, clear, unfussy, spacey, battley little deck builder, Sean Albedo. What are your thoughts?
0: I would never stop by this one, Ronan. I think what you get with the looks of the game, it kind of looks basic, quite cheap looking. it didn't (gasps) stand out of the crowd for me at all no
1: way I don't think it looks cheap looking I think the graphic design isn't that fantastic I think the box actually is quite simple and quite lovely I quite like that work and I think the actual Artwork on the cards is pretty good, just the graphic design is quite simple.
0: But the artwork's so tiny, you've got these like big bands of colour, and then the artwork is kind of squeezed up into the middle of them. I would like to have seen the art, probably you would.
1: So I'm going to say that's graphic design, not art. Yeah,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, okay. But I think the graphic design then it looks a bit basic and cheap looking.
1: Uh, The reason I'll give them a bit more of a pass on that as well, and I am being more lenient on these. Game though, maybe from something from z-man or whiz or something huge is that it's a first printing designed and made by himself someone trying to get a foothold in the market yeah so no fair things enough. like that yeah, yeah. you know i'm not so fast about i
0: think i think that's why I, I would have walked past it i'm kind of glad no i didn't the rule book however slight gripe the text on the rule book the actual font that they used it made it really hard for me to decipher
1: yeah, and it's a bit wordy as well. It was yeah. a bit sentency rather than sort of punching out the rules. It was a bit yeah. like, it's like me chatting to you about what the rules are rather than boom, 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 reference. But they're not awful, though, by any means. I actually think the rules are quite good, but not user-friendly.
0: I agree, agree. I think it's uh, quite an ambitious with the space and land combat. I, I do like the idea of it, and if they if it pulls all together, I think that could be a quite tasty, Rodin.
1: Yeah, I I worry about it as a two-player game. I think that it's not going to be tricky enough. You can just throw a cheap couple of units somewhere knowing you're going to pick something up because the number of locations doesn't scale. So I think definitely four-player, or like I say, with two sets, you can play up to eight-player. I think the higher player count is going to make it better and trickier and make those choices actually worth something.
0: That was my next point to you, Rodan. How do you think it would be at that maximum eight players?
1: Yeah, pretty hard and chaotic, and there's going to be a lot of tiebreakers. I think probably eight is too many. I'm looking three to five. That's, that's that's my happy point. But, I mean, how many games work with eight players? I think that's a bit cuckoo.
0: Fair yeah. enough, yeah. It's it, it's a little bit ambitious. But for what you are getting with the game, as you said, it's not fussy. It's not fiddly. Once you do decipher that rule book, you're straight into the game. And it's something I would have pranced happily past, uh, not even knowing the hidden gem underneath And I'm glad Ronan made me stop to take a look at this one. So, Albedo is a treasure for me.
1: And it's a treasure for me, for Albedo as well. Uh, I will say, if you're going there, definitely keep an eye out for it from Herbert's Entertainment. It's not going to be expensive, and I think it's a little bit of a gem.
0: Okay, next up from me is a game... I was calling it Sam Hain for a long while, but I've been told now it's Sawane from Geochic IT. Designed by Moro Chiabato and his brother, I assume, Alessandro Chiabato. Two to four players. Theme in this one is Caesar is advancing the Roman legions into the Celtic clans. And on Samhain, which is the most sacred night of the year, the clans are going to gather to ask the ancient gods to help to survive and to repel the invaders. So what you're going to have is a table. where You're going to have five rows of three cards, each representing one of the deities. Each god has a light and dark action on them and has a light and dark score track beside them. This is called Devotion Power or DP. Players have clan members and resources behind a screen. The resources are wood, gold and stone. There is a round track which goes from day to night, so over six rounds alternating. And you have a points track as well. On a turn, you're going to place a clan member on a god and choose what devotion track, light or dark, to go up on. In rounds 1, 3 and 5, you're going to take light actions. In 2, 4 and 6, you can take dark actions. Although, players can take the opposite action by spending either a devotion point, a resource or a victory point. Actions are to gain resources, to gain devotion points, to kill other clan members, etc. At the end of a round, points are going to be awarded depending on your position on the DP track. But, there's one other element to this. There are Willow the Wisp tokens that can be gained throughout the game. When the last one of those is taken, you're going to have a Willow the Wisp event. The person with the most wisps is going to lose one clan to a graveyard. And then everybody has to pay either devotion points, victory points, or resources to get rid of their wisp cubes. When that said graveyard fills up, then everybody gets their clan member back anyway. The game ends after a certain number of rounds, and you check that you have the resources that you started with. Because if you don't, then you've used the Roman resources and you are dubbed a traitor. And it's going to cost you the game. Otherwise it's on all on points and the most points wins.
1: Sawain Ronan. i Sawain, Sawain, My Gaelic's not that great so. Okay, it's got that luna like that you either move or you activate your worker. I love it in Luna and it got me interested in what you can do because you have to set up your actions prior to actually taking them in most cases. And that was pretty cool, Sean. I like that idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, so you, you you are moving around, you do have the option to not just stay on the one card, it's not complete worker placement, it's a worker movement game, yeah.
1: But you give an up an action there. to move it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Moving on to the night and day actions, Ronan. I quite liked, originally, when I saw, oh yeah, it's got, it's got a day action and they do kind of lighter things, and the night ones is all about killing people, and it costs you more, but they seem to be more powerful, but it really isn't difficult to do a night action on your day phase and a day action on your night phase, which kind of spoiled it for me.
1: Well, that kind of <laughs> comes back to the fact that a load of these actions are to get resources. But not, what do you actually do with resources?
0: You just spend them instead of things. They can spend a resource to...
1: I know the answer.
0: Okay. making a funny point. <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot interesting.
1: Not a lot interesting. They're just... Why is there different resources? Is there like, are you, like yeah, you spend one stone here or one... What? This just, I was like, oh, great, what are well, we going to do with the resources? Are we going to build some sort of a tomb or are we going to create something? Or we? No, no, they're just pretty much just spend them. They're like coins, really.
0: Oh, well, I'm Ronan, Ronan. God forbid you don't end up the game with exactly the resources you started. God forbid. <laughs>
1: you The Roman resources, you're in big trouble. The Roman resources. Big trouble. If you are eight, out
0: of the game, buddy
1: hey what's that that's
0: just what
1: what? Uh, who what very curious very curious (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing that this is actually i don't know whether this is good or bad this i can't tell but if you activate a card you activate everyone on that card so if someone was planning to move their cube they can't now they have to do it and if they can't do it then they get that will-o'-the-wisp And, all right, you can get dolmens to avoid it, but it's pretty punishing. All right, I activate that one, and all five of these cubes activate. I didn't want you to. Ah, don't care. (laughs) I I can't do that. I'll take some of the wisp. You've lost. Goodbye. (laughs) kind of messes with the feeling that you might be able to plan and adjust. It's just like, everyone else can trigger your workers. Mm. Mm.
0: So what you're saying is the only thing that you liked about the game has been completely nullified by yeah. the Yeah, well, the two
1: bits of the movement and then the light and dark, and yeah. neither of them seem to be very important. It's almost uh, overbalancing it or something. Yeah, you know, people maybe, if someone moans, they changed it. I have no idea. But I have got a question for you, Sean. hmm I'm going to link it back to one of our very first previews in this section of uh, these episodes we've been doing. Who am I? What am I doing? <laughs> How do I do it? What's the narrative of so n?
0: I gave you the specific narrative at the beginning. We're fighting yeah. off Caesar's hordes
1: Hold on. By hey, what?
0: praying yep. to the Celtic gods.
1: Are we? Okay.
0: Or we're moving cubes around the board and quite inefficiently.
1: Yeah. And do you know what? I feel like every time that I move the cube down the board, I'm, I'm feeling like the jaws of boredom clamping <laughs> down on my fingers with this trap, 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 trap. in. So oh, man, such a promising theme.
0: Yeah, the theme drawn drew me in. I wasn't overstruck by the card art. This was actually a very successful Kickstarter. Again, I thought, oh. Don't worry. I think it's a trap for me. I hope I've proved wrong, because I hope I ever get to play it. And it's a great game. That'd be brilliant. But for now, it's a definite trap. And that was Samhain.
1: was my last game. Of this game 47 to oh. 48. This is almost an emotional moment. Let's go for it. It's Montana. Two to four players, 45 minutes. White Goblin from Riddiger Dawn, who has got some pedigree. He likes to name games after places, though Istanbul, Goa, Karuba, Genoa, Las Vegas, Montana, etc., etc. I can make a Beach Boys song out of that. I'm telling you. Go on then. <laughs> Istanbul, Goa, Karuba, (laughs) Genoa, Las Vegas, Montana. It was easy, I told you. You're the man. I am something. You're going to build a modular board using hex tiles. The size of it is going to depend on player count. And each of these hex tiles has seven individual hexes on there representing some terrain. There are going to be on there in each of those terrain fields mostly although some blocking with mountains and lakes and they're going to have symbols on there which show resources of copper stone and grain and then we're going to use them to build on there you're also going to be four color of workers in the game and the workers do not correspond to player colors they correspond to the resources of copper stone grain and also pumpkins each player is going to start with four randomly coloured workers and a contractor. They also have 12 settlements of their colour. Whenever anyone can build all 12 settlements, that will end the game. And if only one person has done that, or the most built settlements basically wins. What can you do on your turn? You can recruit, work or build. When you recruit, you spin a spinner. A spinner in a game, Sean. Wasn't it about time we had one? Anyway, you spin the spinner and whatever it lands on is going to show two colours of workers. And you take those two colours of workers. You can only hold eight at once. There's also two wild spaces on the eight spaces on that spinner. However, if it doesn't land where you want it to land, you can pay grain to advance one space at a time. Or you can send these workers, these meeples, out to work. You can send them to the bank. They can be any colour. There are various spaces in the bank and they require various numbers of meeples and they will give you an amount of money. You can send the related coloured meeple to the related space to work. You can send them to the mine, the quarry, or they can harvest the resources of grain or pumpkins there are again limited spaces on there for a certain number of meeples and it always costs you money to send your meeples out to work spaces on either of those boards the bank the mine the quarry or the fields will only clear once they're completely full so they will fill up over time you can send your contractor to the city that's going to trigger a cyclody styley bid with pumpkins for the ability to get cows, to trade goods, to convert your resources and various other certain things. Now, cows, why am I talking about cows? Well, you can always use cows to hand them in for an extra worker or some silver or for goods to get you out of a hole. And they also won the tiebreakers at the end of the game. When you choose to build, you can build up to three settlements. They must start next to an existing settlement. There is always one on the board to begin with, which is of a neutral colour. When you want to build a settlement, you pay the resources shown on the field on the hex you wish to build in. If you choose not to build all three, you take a silver for any that you haven't built. So at least you'll earn some money. If you manage to build three settlements all at once in a straight line, you get a fourth settlement at the end of that line for free, which is super handy if there are any cows on the field that you build on you get to take those cows and if you are the first person to build next to any lakes which still have canteens on them you get to take the canteen off as i said the game ends when someone's built their 12 settlement most settlements wins and the combination of cows and canteens is the tie breaker sean bidding with pumpkins tie breaker with cows and canteens <laughs> The thematic ties in this one, I'm going to generously call them loose.
0: Well, I care not a jot. It has a worker spinner. <laughs>
1: it has got a spinner. There's no denying that that lit my face up with joy. Here's my problem it's absolutely pointless. No, it's not. It's a spinner it's that gives you pointless. workers. Yeah, that you can move on by spending grain, and you can never be more than three spaces away from getting completely wild in either colour that you want. That's not great. I'd rather it was a random spinner than completely mitigated by one in four spaces being wild.
0: Uh, I thought I just thought it gave you you just had to have that bit of wheat so that you can move things around. I, I like it. I really I'm quite but excited. Wheat it. is
1: only for that or building settlements. It's yeah. And you don't need wheat for every settlement. It's a bit like You just uh, keep some
0: back in case you don't get the, the workers that you want.
1: I'm disappointed. If you give me a spinner, I want a spinner. I want it random.
0: You've got a spinner, you've got a, a mitigatable uh, spinner.
1: I don't want a mitigated one, you give me half a spinner. <laughs>
0: I'm excited. Right, so the look of the game itself, let's, let's bounce past the theme. The look of the game, classic Euro, iconography just looks on point. I can almost tell how this game worked without looking at the rules, right?
1: Sure, sure. But I'm doing a bid with pumpkins.
0: Who doesn't? Do you not go down to but- Tesco's with some pumpkins <laughs> in your pocket?
1: Do you not. with. Pu- what? Wait.
0: Listen, your traders that do the bidding for you, they like a bit of pumpkin. I just don't... Don't judge them. They
1: they bidding with Starbucks? Is that what you... What? I don't...
0: <laughs> don't I don't understand. Don't, if a man why likes him some I? pumpkin, a man likes him some pumpkin. <laughs> Leave it be. <laughs> like, step, step away.
1: Step away from the man's pumpkin. Canteens and cows are tiebreaker. I don't understand why... Because just a thing. You've got just a name for a random thing. You've
0: got well watered cows. If that doesn't break a tie <laughs> in your house, I don't understand
1: what does. The other thing I was thinking is, what's what's stopping you from just saving up all your stuff, not building anything? Because all you're doing is kind of restrict yourself and then just spluaging when you can and going three in a line, three four, three in a line, three four, three in a line, three four, done. There's nothing stopping. There's nothing you. to encourage you to actually get on with doing things.
0: You can obviously have to have the resources to do that, but if that's the way you want to play it, then everyone can see what you're doing, so you may as well be putting them down,
1: Um, or you may as well not. And I feel like there's going to be ninety percent of just doing the same things and collecting, 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 build, 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 collecting. It's the the fourth bonus one that gets me. If you just build at any time, then it wouldn't worry, and you might race to get to a lake, and you might be after those cows and all that, but. The free fourth one seems so important. I just think you're going to save up for three every single time.
0: Maybe. But I think there's more than just collecting. Obviously, you have to have the right workers to collect. So you, you need to make sure you get the right workers into your tableau. Then you've got to send them out. And you're blocking spaces by doing that. And they don't clear until the whole area has been filled up. So that's quite interesting.
1: Well, one thing I think I should have made clearer was that when you use a worker, they go.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, when they extreme. clear, they
1: go back into the pool, and you have to yeah. generate more. So it's not like you build up your little pool of eight workers, and they go in, out, in, out, and out. You're you're constantly cycling them, which you know. <laughs> I was laughing to myself, man. What do you think, Sean? You're sounding more positive than um,
0: Mate, I'm quite excited by this one. I'm I'm quite disappointed that you're not, because I think every essence there's just that one warm blanket or comfortable shoes of a Euro game that just appeals to me. I will always try to get it. This is it for me. It's nothing new here, but for what it does do, it seems like it's done well. So, yeah, it's quite a strong treasure for me. And I think I'm pretty much going to buy this one, Renan.
1: I've got 400 pairs of comfortable shoes. <laughs> I don't need a 401st pair. It's it's not what I'm looking for. I'm sure if I played it, I'd be like, yeah. That was cool. It was competent. It was fun, and then completely no memory apart from having a bid with pumpkins, which just for some reason tickles me. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't seem like it seems like a perfectly functional game. It's not what I'm looking for, so that's why I had to go trap. But Tom Preston or anyone else who likes light to medium weight euros in sixty minutes, go for it because that's what it is.
0: Tom, it's me, me and you at Eastbourne, mate. So let's yeah, get it on. You'll
1: be happy in your
0: some bland, Montana super blandity. <laughs> right, okay. This is the very last game we're going to be previewing. Let's hope it's not a horror. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> oh, oh! It's Halloween from Quind or Quinned Games. Will it
1: be a nightmare?
0: Oh.
1: <sighs> should we stop with these jokes? I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> this is the insanity setting in. This is
0: it. Really isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Designed by Angelo Di Maio and 2-4 to players. So it's Halloween and we are Demon Lords and we are going to be summoning ghosts to haunt buildings and scare humans in order to prove that we are the scariest demon of all. All of the action in this game takes place on a central board and this depicts a town with various locations. There's also a space for randomly drawn action cards. You also have individual player boards, and these will show you what ghost level that you can control. It goes from the, the weakest being the blue ghost, to the strongest being the red ghost, and yellow, green, and orange in between. Your available basic actions are in a tracker on your player board. And it also has space for bonus tokens. So your actions are to summon, basically it's like the love hutting. Stone Age, if you have two ghosts, they produce one. You can scare. You score scare points depending on what ghost you use. You can upgrade. Use those scare points to upgrade to a ghost to the next level. You can move around orthogonally and possibly even earn a bonus token. You can fight the other ghosts. And on this, you're going to be rolling dice. The blue one has a D3 and the red would have a D12. Last up, you can haunt each town area once per game. And there are six town areas, and you're going to score points depending on what level of ghost you use to do the haunting. All the while, you'll be collecting colored ghost tokens after doing these actions, and they are going to be used to gain access to the action cards on the game board. These improve the basic actions in some way, or provide end-of-game scoring. The game is over when one of the players manages to haunt their sixth town area, and then the player with the most points wins. Ronan, this is Halloween. It looks really strong for me in terms of the graphical design. But did it really need the minis? Yeah, you reckon?
1: Yeah.
0: Ah, see, I'm going the, the other ghosts way. Ghosts is cool.
1: Come on. <laughs> if you're not going to get into the theme of this game and say, yeah, totally need minis, no, 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 I get about it. I didn't want. Throw it off the table.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want like cubes or anything. I wanted like big wooden ghosts or, or big no, plastic these comedy are ghosts. Cool.
1: I like it, I'm all into
0: it. I'm
1: fully getting board. It's how you like the style of it. It's very purple, very, very. There's purple. a lot
0: of purple going on. There's this a lot. It's
1: true. a. It's a. Think deliberately. I think deliberately. It's very 1994. 1994,
0: not 1995 or 1992.
1: No, it's specifically 94. That that purple year we all had. It would <laughs> have gone to invoke atmosphere and whatever stuff like that and give try and get you into these halloweeny games that you remember from your childhood which were all awful but i I hope they're (laughs) they're trying to prove that there's something better than that going on so what is going on with it firstly they've built in an incredible amount of variety here sean with those action cards you collect the ghost tokens you trigger those action cards they're the most powerful actions you can do is it 50 something in there and only eight per game
0: there's a big stack of cards you're only going to see eight per game and that was both a blessing, I thought, yeah, it's going to give masses of longevity, you're never really going to see the same game twice, but if there's are super powerful cards, are those ones going to be the ones that everyone just jumps straight to and ignores the rest? So I was kind of worried about the balance of them.
1: You seem to have forgotten what game we're reviewing. It's the very purple, mini-laden Halloween <laughs> that's about haunting a town. If there's really powerful ones, good, because I'm supposed to be a ghost lord, and I want there to be ridiculous powers that like go in and go, look what I just did. Wasn't that ridiculous? woo
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Another slight concern I had with this one, man, is you could spend ages leveling up to a red ghost to do go and do a red action. Now, that ghost can be defeated and taken off the board is it going to be really frustrating if you spend ages getting stuff together to level up and then an orange one smacks it in the face and beats it and it's gone.
1: But that encourages the fight in between the ghosts, which is, I think the whole ethos behind the game that if it is frustrating, when there's an orange one there, upgrade that one.
0: Yeah. true. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It
1: just, it's that whole thing of, you can't be too tied to them. You're, you're a ghost Lord. It should be like if that ghost gets defeated and sent back to your realm or whatever, you should be beating it. It is getting the feel for it. The fact that there is that ridiculous combat with dice rolling in there again just pushes towards they're not trying to make the most serious game in the world here. They're trying to make a funny thematic Halloweeny game that has got a strong skeleton of Euro mechanisms like that action board which is interesting you have three different levels of actions you can take you have to manage that and upgrade it like having to put in certain colors of tokens to trigger certain actions so you have to think about what you're doing and yet you have to get on board with a the theme to enjoy it
0: yeah we haven't even really touched upon the bonus actually so you've got what is it 14 actions that you've got access to immediately and then you can add three bonus tokens and when you've cleared all of those and used those three they clear and you can add even more in so yeah there is longevity and variety in spades in this
1: one right totes and i do like that it's a bit of a race You can't have someone sitting there, not getting involved in the action, not getting involved in the fighting, and slowly building up to their red, and then triggering their red actions, and getting their red haunts on there. The fact is, alright, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do five green ones as quick as I can, and I'll win.
0: The fact that you can only use one colour ghost per area, yeah, really does encourage that race element. Rodan, you're way more positive than I expected you to be about this one.
1: Because I had a paradigm shift, Sean, I've been looking at so many of these games and as we spiel, so many of them are Euro and so many of them are serious and so many of them are convert this into that and score VP and be very efficient. And that's great because I love those games. Although, as per Montana, I might be looking for something a little bit different or a bit of a twist and I don't mean pumpkin bids. When I got to Halloween, when I first started reading it, I was doing that and going, oh, I'm not sure where the efficiency is here. Oh, I'm not sure whether they've fully balanced it. And then I went, hold on, look at what they're doing. They're giving you a bright purple game with jokes in the rule book, a load of ghost minis and saying, who can be the best ghost lord? I can. I am fully up for it. Right time of year to, for it to come out. It's a refreshment to me after all this studying of heavier game, And I'm going to have a laugh playing Halloween. I don't care how good it is or it's not. I'm getting it. It's a treasure. End of. I
0: was expecting to have to defend this one a lot more. Um, <laughs> it was refreshing that I didn't. There is pumpkins in this one, Ryan. So, yeah, just a bit, be
1: mine. Well, it's Halloween. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's because it's not completely ridiculous. We, I've quite went a bit over... Probably the board there. It's a Euro game mechanism with some fun on top. And you know I like that. I like there to be decisions, but with theme.
0: Yeah, there's there's definite decisions, but a very loose overall arc to the game. I am fully on board with Halloween, Ronan. I am almost sure we're going to pick this game up at the Essen Spiel. And it's definitely a treasure. And it's good to end on a treasure, Ronan, with Halloween from quinn games
1: it really really is
0: and we will see you after the break
1: folks there you have 12 more previews for you when you next hear from me which will be tomorrow if you've been super good at downloading this i'll be in essence it'll be wednesday it'll just be me i'll be telling you about some of the games i've played and what i've seen so far thursday sean's going to be joining me friday sean's going to be joining me Saturday we're going to do a little show with Eleanor who's my daughter who's coming over for the first time she's 14 she's going to give you her impressions we are going to be firing out pit stops left right and centre all of this week and next week subscribe to our YouTube channel keep an eye out on Board Game Geek you'll be getting visual quick representations of these games and I think they're worth seeing Sean maybe if you're not too busy
0: <laughs> don't, don't sell them a great any I'll do it
1: <laughs> It's not likely to happen,
0: is it? And don't forget, guys, that we will be on the Dice Tower booth. It's in Hall 7. Please come along there at 1 o'clock on both Thursday and Friday of Spiel. And we'll be there in our Game Pit t shirts So please come and say hello and have a chat, whatever you want to do. We'll be also walking around the halls. We're not hard to miss. We're both quite big lads. So you just look for the Game Pit t-shirts and we'll be glad to see you
1: indeed come up say hello tell us what you've played and what you think has been good because we are meeting so many people that we're not going to get to play that many games you're probably going to have a better idea than we are so give us the good ideas we'll steal them and take credit for them on the show
0: what what that's the way to go (laughs) okay
1: sean see us out last time
0: And of course, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Please go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us, you can email us on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And another great way of contacting us is to come and speak to us on our Board Game Geek Guild. We're on social media we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram page, and we have a Twitter account at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to download the podcast episodes, we are on iTunes, Instagram, and Podbean. And as Ryan has just mentioned, we have a YouTube channel with plenty of pit stops forthcoming. So please go and subscribe to that for just quick, sharp overviews of games. Thank you so much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. s boy